0: thinking about you and here's what i know about you uh you want to grow you want to be empowered after all you're the few and the proud that showed up on a sunday morning in august in santa monica to attend a church you want to see something happen in your life you want to get out there you want to make a difference you want to make an impact in the world and many of you believe, like I do, that God himself wants to work in us and through us, and not only to change our own lives, but to change the lives of the people we know. The problem with that is that sometimes when we attempt to join up with what God is doing in the world, there's often a lack of consensus about what we're actually doing. Like, what's, what's the plan here? Like, in a church, uh, what, what are we doing I once heard N.T. Wright, uh, he's a scholar, he uh, he once talked about uh, being safe and he used political election uh, as an illustration. He said, if you were elected president, if you were elected president of the United States, what would people say if you walked around all the time and just talked about how you were elected? I've been elected. Look at me, I was elected and I'm elected. I'm gonna give a speech about how I was elected. Eventually, what would people do? People would say, you know, we get it. You've been elected, but now it's time to get to work. You've been elected for something. You were not just elected for election's sake. And it's the same with the idea of following Jesus or being saved. You might have experienced the saving grace of Jesus, which is a really big deal. That's what we believe in Christian churches. That's good. But the point is, is that you've been saved for a purpose. And therein lies the confusion among Christians. What have we been saved for? Like, what are we trying to get done? What are we trying to do here? Like, what are we doing? And if you were to do a basic Google search on, like, the story of Christianity and what it means for here and now and for the future, you might get some different answers. Some people believe that we're saved and that our main mission is to save souls before we die. Some people believe in being saved is all about political justice. Others aren't as confident in what the good questions are or what the questions they should ask. They're like, man, the world's pretty corrupt. Should we just separate ourselves from the rest of the world? Do the Amish have it right? Do we actually need to move to the countryside and ride in buggies and build furniture for uh, middle-aged moms? Is that the answer? Does caring about the environment matter? And where does Jesus fit into all of this? Now, these ideas can create a lot of emotions around Jesus. We try to, As we try to connect our story to the greater story of what God's doing in the world, it can feel overwhelming and it can be hard to know who to trust. Now, if this is you, if you're trying to figure out what is the big project that God is doing, have you ever considered, like, what are we doing here? Are we saving souls? You know, we're going to separate ourselves, we're just going to be social justice people. Like, if you've thought that and you've ever been confused by that, I totally understand. We're receiving thousands of messages every day petitioning us for our time and our energy and our belief system. Stories that we're seeing everywhere that can muddy the water about what we believe or what we should do in God's big story. And there's so many amateur theologians out there who seem confident in their ideas for life insofar that you uh, like and subscribe to their channel. And so today, I want to offer something that I think can help you. And I want to be your guide, uh, because I want to talk about the story, the bigger story of what we think God is up to in the world. But once you grasp the story, everything else makes sense. Everything else makes sense in terms of how you make your decisions in life, and how you help others make decisions in their life. Now, if you look at the life of Jesus, and you look at all the things that he talked about, What do you think he talked about the most? Was it love? Was it money? Was it morality? Did he talk about the cross a lot? The thing that he talked about the most in all of his teachings, and anytime he's interacting with the 12 disciples or the 72 or when the masses are there, the thing Jesus talked about the most was the kingdom of God. Now, if Jesus talked about it more than any other subject then it must be kind of important. And what we discover is that the most effective Christians, the Christians we know and love and admire, they have a firm understanding of this concept called the kingdom of God because it helps us to frame who we are and what we do in the world. Once we understand the kingdom of God, it helps us live better lives, it helps us to do better, it helps us to know what to do and when to do it. So today I want to give you, this is a context setting teaching, okay? And if we don't get this right, we might be playing the wrong game. Now, some Christians today, when they read about the kingdom of God, they read the scriptures, they read them wrongly. They, when they hear the phrase kingdom of God, they think of something, they just think of like the kingdom of heaven. Oh, when he talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about heaven. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. When someone mentions the kingdom of God, sometimes think that people think that the kingdom of God is all about the church, They go, oh, when he talks about kingdom of God, he's actually talking about churches that meet on the weekends. Sometimes people think kingdom of God informs what we do now. And it actually gives meaning to our, uh, our Christian lives. Now, the kingdom of God is powerful and it's misunderstood. But when we understand it, when we embrace it, it changes everything. So what is the kingdom of God? What is it? If it's so important, Chris, what is it and what does it actually do? Well, first and foremost, what you need to know is that the kingdom of God is set in a time period. It's set in a time period. And the time period is this. When Jesus first came to earth, and then the period where Jesus returns to earth again. The kingdom of God is set in that time frame. That's like about 2,000 years ago and some change. And we are living in that time period leading up to Jesus' return. And what is happening in between the time that Jesus first came and when Jesus comes again, the best illustration I can give you comes from the United States and World War II. It's the difference between D-Day and V-Day. How many of you have ever heard those terms, D-Day and V-Day? And if you think V-Day is Valentine's Day, you're mistaken. So some of you know something about history. Okay. So D-Day. This is when the Allied forces entered into Europe and began the long push to push back Hitler, the German army, and the Nazis back into Germany. That started on June 6th, 1944. That was D-Day. And V-Day is when they won the day and the war ended, which was May 8th. 1945. So do you see there's like a 9-10 month period in there where they actually were participating where they started the initiative and then the initiative ended. The allied forces invaded Europe. They pushed back Hitler and it was the beginning of the end of Hitler between D-Day and V-Day. The kingdom of God is similar to that. We live in a time of war. Newsflash, we're in a war. And the war began when Jesus came, and we are participants in that battle, and one day Jesus will return. We and I, we have been called to fight in this battle, and what we know, the foregone conclusion, is that we will win, that Jesus will win, that Jesus will defeat the spiritual oppression and the enemies of our world. And in the scriptures, the consistent theme that you and I see is that we're invited to play in this battle, and we're, we're invited to fight, but not with weapons, not with guns and bayonets, and not by force. We're not called to fight this war with conventional war methods. We're called and invited to fight in this battle with the tools of the kingdom, and the tools of the kingdom are very different than the tools of humans when it comes to battles. The tools of the kingdom are this the tools of the kingdom are all the power in the world at your fingertips, expressed in spiritual authority through the nonviolent, peacemaking, and loving way that Jesus uses to turn enemies into family. It's a different kind of battle. Now, personally, I did not grow up with this kingdom mindset. I didn't grow up thinking about the kingdom of God. I grew up in a conservative evangelical home that taught about the rapture. Does anyone know what the rapture is? You've got a few brave souls that are willing to admit. So if in case you don't know, the rapture is this idea that um, when Jesus comes back, uh, he'll come back Two more times. He'll come back and he'll take all the Christians out of earth, and then there'll be a seven-year tribulation where everything will get really bad, and there'll be an antichrist that rises up, but then Jesus will come back and defeat him, and it'll be led by some thousand-year reign. It's based on a different kind of theology that's about 150 years old. I was raised on that, and what that did is that affected the way I thought about what my job was in the world. So if I was a Christian, and the rapture's coming soon, if we're all going to get zapped up, and uh, we're all going to get, flow, you, know, you know, there's always these verses about zapping, Anyway, you you don't don't know what's going to happen or when it's going to happen. That puts, that gives you, that incentivizes you as a Christian to be like, we need to save souls so they can get beamed up with me when the beam up happens. And so it, it doesn't, the earth of what's happening like down the street, you know, at the homeless encampment, whatever's happening here, that is less important. We need to get the soul figured out because the end is nigh. The end is near. We have to figure that out. And... As I learned more, uh, and as I was exposed to the Kingdom of God, I became less compelled by the idea of rapture or saving souls, a reductionist soteriology, as they call it, just trying to save souls to save souls. I became more convinced that the Kingdom of God was central to my life. And this growth, it infused a new direction in me, and it put new meaning into my faith. Once I understood the bigger story of D-Day to V-Day, the kingdom of God now and when Jesus returns, it changed the way I thought about my story. It changed the way I thought about my faith and like things that I wanted to do, like why do I share my faith? It all also made sense of little things, like why I try not to litter. I know that's a very small thing. Some of you, it's a very big thing. You have trouble littering. I just want to encourage you in the kingdom mentality, you don't have to litter. It also, like, informed things like, larger things like, did you know in Los Angeles we have a housing issue? We have a housing shortage. It makes everything really expensive. And, uh, And so, like, and then there's some people that they're like, no, don't build near me. Not in my backyard. It's called NIMBY. And there's all these issues around housing and urban planning. And so understanding the kingdom of God helped me make sense of justice issues, that urban planning is a justice issue. It helped me even to have a Christ-centered view of immigration. What does the kingdom of God think about immigrants? What is Jesus doing with immigrants, and how, does, uh, how do we treat immigrants? How does that a representation of how Jesus was treated and all these things? It empowered me to attend to things around immigration. And overall, it really helped me understand the, the kingdom of God is about renewal. Their story that Jesus is telling, the story of the kingdom of God, is a story of renewal. There is a king, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and the way he has chosen to establish his kingdom is by renewing all things. Here and now, he renews hearts. He renews minds. He redu- he, re- he, re- he renews souls and bodies. Everything that we see and do and touch one day will be perfected. And we get to play in that. The Christian has been saved. Remember when we talked about election earlier? Like if you've been elected for something, what do you do? The Christian has been saved now to participate in the renewal of all things. And we have all that power at our fingertips. There's renewal that will happen now, but we also believe that there's renewal that will happen later. And it won't be fully here until Jesus comes in his full perfection. And so what Christians are invited to do is to live out the future heaven and the future earth in the here and now. We're invited to bring that in to the here and now and participate in it. It's when we lead people into life with Jesus and they're Minds and hearts are transformed by the power of the good news of Jesus. It means caring about the environment that one day God will perfect. And it's thinking about issues like justice around housing. Because one day in the new heaven and the new earth, there we will have perfect justice in it. We lean into what we expect to happen and what we see God doing. The framework for the kingdom of God also help me recognize this important thing. There's another team on the field. There's bad guys. And the problem with the church, problem sometimes even in my own life, is that we're unaware that there is a battle going on. Much of the American church spends its time figuring out how to remain a civilian in a time of war. Or when Christians do talk about warfare, they talk about it in terms of how the Republicans are the worst, or the Democrats are the worst, or they write country songs about how America's going down the tubes and stuff, or whatever they do. They're not aware that there's a larger spiritual battle taking place all around us. And whether you believe it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, you are a victim of an enemy who seeks to destroy you. There is a malevolent spiritual force who seeks to destroy you and me and everybody we know. And when Jesus came to earth, he came announcing the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God is here. And he was the king of the kingdom. And what he did when he did that, he was placing a flag in the ground and he declared war on all the evil spiritual forces of our world. And that war rages on today. Jesus has given us the keys to the kingdom and has given us the power and the authority over those evil forces of the world. But if you don't utilize, if you don't recognize, and if you don't exercise that authority and that power, that power and authority is of of no use to us. Today, understanding the kingdom of God means that we're recognizing that God is activating an army. And you and I are called to learn. We must understand the power and the authority that he has given to us. Now, in regard to the kingdom, the big story that I'm telling you, Jesus had this to say to his disciples. In Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1, he says this, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them the power and the authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever your, whatever house you stay, let me try again. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Look at the first verse. Look at first verse. The first um, Maybe like the first few sentences says all do you see all Does it say all for you what does all mean what is he talking about he's talking about all spiritual forces and all diseases the writer of luke also uses a couple other words in there he uses power and authority power is the ability to complete tasks authority is the right to use the power he gave that to the disciples and he gives it to us I want to give you an illustration. My sister-in-law is a proud African-American detective in the greater Cleveland area. Uh, I love her, but she's scary too. When we play guessing games, she knows exactly what all of our things are because she's a professional detective uh, and she's good at it. Um, Maybe we'll cut that last part out. Um, anyway, back in the day, she used to have to do traffic duty before she started to climb the ranks. Uh, and let's say in this situation, she had to uh, stop a vehicle, a traffic stop for a vehicle. She may not physically be able to stop a two-ton car, but she carries incredible authority because when she says stop and pull over, nearly every time someone would stop and pull over. She carried massive amount of authority in that situation. And Christians, in the similar way, have been awarded the same kind of power and authority over the spiritual realm. We even see this in a different story with Jesus and the centurion. If you don't know what a centurion is, it's a person that oversaw many different types of Roman soldiers, okay? And the centurion had a servant whom he loved, he cared about. He was part of the extended family. And this the centurion's servant was extremely ill. He was going to die. And so he told Jesus, "Jesus, can you please heal my servant?" And he, and Jesus goes, "Of course." And he starts walking there, and they go, "You don't even need to come what I understand about you is that you have all the authority and power to be able to just do it from at a distance. Can we do an at-a-distance healing? Can you do that? And Jesus marveled and he said, I've never seen this kind of faith in all of Israel because you understand something about power and authority. You understand that it's been given to me and I'm able to do things in a way that uh, is effective. Some of us have never learned how to receive Or give orders in the spiritual realm. Because we have misunderstood our call in the first place. If we don't understand the kingdom, then we don't really understand we're in a battle. Which means we've never really learned to give and receive those orders. The kingdom of God is the rule of God. But once we understand this, we take on a new role. And here it is. Jesus Christ is sending you. He's not sending angels, he might send angels, but he's primarily sending you. He's not using any other things. He's sending you to rescue those who have been taken captive by the fall of humanity. And when we do this, we're proclaiming the word of salvation. We're calling that we call people to faith under the rule of the Lord. When we do this, we are representing the kingdom of God, preaching the gospel, and rescuing those who have been held captive. What does it mean to be held captive? What is captivity? Captivity. You have been invited to rescue people from bondage to sin. You have been invited to rescue people from physical problems, from social problems, from justice problems. Whatever the contamination is, you and I have been called and empowered to set the captives free and to bring them, to invite them into relationship with Jesus. This is the message. This is the work. It's a both and. And the, message, the, the, the impression I get, the impression I get is when you hear this, it should feel similar to Star Wars Episode Four. Obi-Wan runs into Luke, Skywalker, and... And he's like, leave your desert planet. There's nothing for you here. Come join the adventure, Luke. Learn to use the force. I will teach you and we will wage war against the dark side. It's an invitation into the battle. In the same way, you are invited to leave behind the civilian mentality. You are invited to leave behind the boring ways of being a Christian and leave the desert and join In the fight, to walk in the authority and the power that has been given to you. The only difference between Star Wars and the gospel is that the force is fake. But this is real life. Will you accept the call? Will you learn to walk in power and authority? There is an evil out there that is taking advantage of people, using people, manipulating people, and you have been given the authority and the power to push it back, to participate in the battle. And if you're not fired up, get mad. Get mad, people. And I don't care how many people are in this room or how you feel when you leave here. You should be mad. It is wrong. There are people that are being held captive, Against, with, against their will with spiritual forces. There's a hatred in people that is animated by the evil spiritual forces of our world that is hurting people. People that you know and people that you don't know. There is an ongoing crisis of untold numbers of people, human trafficking, child trafficking. There's people on dialysis who are slowly wasting away. And you have friends. That just can't turn the corner mentally, emotionally. Their lives, their relationships continue to collapse around them. And most of our world, they just sit back and they say, maybe there's a rational solution to this problem. Or they say, you know what, maybe the government will step in. Or if they're a little more honest, they go, hey, that's not my problem. But we can change. We must change. Here's what I'm inviting you to do. First, you have to remember, in the kingdom of God, you are on the winning team. And you should start walking around like it. You ever heard the phrase, fake it before you make it? Um, that doesn't apply here. You are going to win. You are on a winning team. And what I mean by win is you're not going to get everything you want on life. You're not going get, to maybe get rich if you pray or give enough to the church, although you should tithe. It's a command. But like... Um, what I'm saying here is, like, you just there's no formula for God to give you what you want and to force him into manipulate. But you are on a team, you are on Jesus' team, and he's going to win. And you get to be on that team. And the kingdom of God is advancing, and there's nothing that you can do about it uh, that would stop it. And there's nothing that the evil spir- spiritual forces of this world are going to do to be able to stop it either. And between now and then, you've, got, you've been given full authority the power and the authority to participate in making all things new. To be a sign that Jesus is alive in you for the here and now. Second thing that you have to do is you have to learn how to walk in the authority and the power that Jesus has given to you. You need to learn how to fight. In the coming months, we're going to show you and everybody else who get, when they get back from vacation... <laughs> We're going to show them. We're going to show you how to fight. You have tools. You can use them. You have authority. You can use it. And you have a tribe that can help you learn to use it faster and more efficiently. You have to learn how to do it. Join the adventure. You have to learn how to do it. Third thing, you need to grow in knowing where the kingdom of God is at work. You know, sometimes God's at work in a, in a moment with a person. You ever see it on their face or what they say to you or what they're, you know, like, like you, do, you do absolutely no work and they're like, can you tell me how to find God? You're like, oh, what is going? God is at work in that moment. And other times you're like doing all the right moves. You're, you know, hanging out with people and you're like sharing and they're just having no, you're like, okay, it's hard. It's, sometimes it's hard to determine where God is at work and how he's working. Even Jesus, when he, on, when he was here on earth, he limited his power so he was fully human. And this is really interesting. And if you look at one of the things he says, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And I join my Father in his work. He would say that his Father was the one who was working in the world. God, his Father, was in the world working. And he couldn't just do whatever he wanted. He learned to discern how to pay attention to where God was at work. And then Jesus... The Son of God joined him in his work, and that's what made Jesus effective. So if Jesus, the Son of God, who is limited in his abilities as a human, learned to join up with God's work, how much more do we need to learn to discern where he's working in a moment or where he's working with a person or where he's not working with somebody else? You need to learn where God is at work around you. And how do you know? How do you know where the kingdom of God is? How do you know? You know where the kingdom of God is when you see the works of the kingdom. That's how you know. Seems redundant. How do you know? Well, when it's there, it's there. You can see it. Let me give you a hint. When you see people who come out of wheelchairs, when you see the sick who are made well, when the blind begin to see, when the lame are walking, when the deaf are hearing, when the poor are able to hear the gospel, when darkness turns into light and favor and blessing is on someone, when you see that people are delivered from spiritual evil forces, you have been given the power to rescue. You are invited to call forth, to bring forward that kingdom. Jesus looks at you as a co-creator in the future. You get to co-create the future. You call forth health and wholeness in the kingdom here and now. And when you learn to walk in that power and authority, here's what I know about you. Back Back to you. Your personal life will begin to excel. Excel even more than it already is now. You will win more and you will lose less. You will avoid making negative choices, bad choices that result in negative consequences because you will have learned to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit and you'll know how to respond to him when it comes to your health or your finances or your sexual choices or even how you treat your co-workers. Also, it helps you make better choices that benefit more people. And since I very much believe that God is interested in you reaching your fullest potential, as you walk in the power and the authority, you will start to realize that full potential. I mean, imagine your life as it is now. I feel like an infomercial, but it's not. Imagine your life now. Imagine your life for a year from now. If you choose to learn to walk in the power and the authority, you will have the same life but it will be better. I can promise you that because God's word says it. Because we've seen millions of Christians who've come before you, who've chosen to join the battle, to walk in the authority and the power, and their lives improve because of it. And they become beacons of hope to the outside watching world. Learning to walk in the power and the authority... Uh, you, given to you by the king of the kingdom will help you to do that. In fact, I even can't find another way in the scriptures to grow your life other than to tap into the power and the authority given to us through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happens? My hope, my hope is that if you would choose just to oh, recognize what the kingdom wants to do in you, if you would just give yourself a little minute 10 or maybe like a year, say, Jesus, I want you to do something. You will move. You know that feeling when there's someone sick and you don't know what to do and you feel powerless? You will move. When you meet that person who is unwell, you, you're kind of hesitant. You're like, well, I don't want to be embarrassed or I don't want to. You know, you start making excuses for God, um, but really you're just covering your own embarrassment. Not you, maybe just me. Um, You will move from that to being able to pray in an empowered way for healing. And in time, not every time, and we don't know why, but in time, your batting average will go up. You will start to see more people experience the miraculous in their bodies as you learn to walk in it. What do we find in the vineyard? The more we pray for the sick, the more coincidences we see. It's amazing. The more we pray for the sick, the more we learn to walk in the authority and the power God has given us, the more miracles we see. The more people who are unwell become well. And in time, you can, and I can learn to grow in that. Now, second, you know, um, and even on a basic level, some of you second-guess how you should handle situations. Learning to walk in the authority and the power will move you to confident because you will know what God has told you to do. You'll be able to walk in a way where you feel like, okay, I may not know the exact answer, but I'm working with the one who does, and now I've learned to discern what he's up to in the world. I'm going to join him in his work for my life. But really, once again, this is not about you. Do not misunderstand the assignment. Today is a call to arms, but the call to arms is by the supernatural power of the Spirit who desires to show his love to every single human being on the planet. Uh, Why don't we all stand?